Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99 at participating U.S. restaurants. Price may vary. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. And right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM, Fight Nation, Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's show, WWE Hall of Famer Mark Henry and I talk to two powerhouse guests in the world of pro wrestling. First, we talk to WWE Hall of Famer Stone Cold Steve Austin, We talked to him about the origins of his famous what promo, working with Vince McMahon, and wanting to do a second interview with John Moxley. Also, Mark and I talked to AEW Chief Branding Officer Brandy Rhodes about AEW All Out, Fight for the Fallen, and Cody's obsession with Star Wars. All that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. Stone Cold, how you doing, man? And this is not the fake imitator, Bully Ray. This is the real genuine article, the man himself, the man that revolutionized the business when it came to an athlete controlling his own destiny, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'll tell you what, it's it's interesting that you would phrase that like that. I never kind of looked at it that way. But, man, it's good to be here with you. Uh, I flew in yesterday from Los Angeles, California, and I – First time I've been back to Austin, Texas, and last time I was here, well, I was born here in 1964, and then uh, we moved down to Victoria after my parents got a divorce, but the last time I was here was work in the Frank Irwin Center, and it's been a long time. Austin has changed. It's still cool, but it's got a lot busier. I it's, it's a hell of a lot busier, and it's a lot more foo-foo. I, I, the hotel that I suggested for you is kind of a trendy spot, and it was kind of like, you know, you see the, the guys with the capri pants. <laughs> and they capriing big time over there. I roll up with some camouflage shorts and a t-shirt, man. They didn't know what hit them. Everybody look at me like, who brought this? I gotta watch my language. What is this up in here? Oh, but oh, we serious that like Yeah, it's serious XM. So. Okay, no, if, man. If, if I nice drop the F bomb, my boss would be like, come on, Mark, come on. You, you, your vocabulary is extensive. You could you could do better. Than and Mark, that. by the way, since you've been hosting here on Busted Open, you've never dropped an f bomb. Now, not an f bomb. No, two weeks ago, Tommy Dreamer dropped the f bomb out of he nowhere. Did. I was in shock. Out of nowhere, dropped the f bomb. Just uh, just for the but you know what? It was a good reason. Now I remember why. It was because of all of the uh, negative connotation with. The Undertaker and Goldberg. Okay, and it, just like I was, I felt like the fans was being disrespectful, and I went off on them a little bit. And I, I'm I'm not going to apologize for going off. I'm just going to say, guys, there are certain things that you don't do. You don't talk about a man's mama. Mm-hmm. You don't kick somebody's dog, and you definitely don't disrespect a veteran, somebody that's paved the way in a business that. Uh, I love so much. Uh, the last thing I'm gonna do is tolerate somebody uh, down in somebody's effort when um, there's a lot of factors in play that we don't have to get into. But we we know we both know that that is not cool. No, it's, it's, it's just not it's not good. And Steve, did you did you see the uh, the match between Taker and Goldberg? Well, I did. I had to because I heard so much of the scuttlebutt. You know, on the airwaves right. and on Twitter, on social media. So, I, man, I got to check it out. And, of course, man, I know both guys very well. And I'm good friends with both of them. So, I had to see what went down. And, man, I thought they was doing great. Yeah. By six minutes or seven minutes, whatever the time was, all of a sudden, Bill launches himself in that turnbuckle. He wasn't used to that closer distance. And that's where he lit himself up at. And so, man, when you're basically out on your feet, uh, they was doing good. Yeah, it was good, both man. guys are still super over. And obviously, the first time they've ever been in a ring or over in Saudi Arabia, it's a special treat. 
two icons in business. So from then on, it kind of took a downward uh, spiral. But again, man, Bill's one of the strongest guys, and I want to ask you about this later. He's one of the strongest guys that's ever been in the ring as far as you know being explosive. Undertaker, on the other hand, strong guy, but man, he's he's a long he's guy. Long. Yeah. When you try to pick that guy up and give him that jackhammer or whatever it's called, uh, and you're dead dog tired and you've done been lit up and you're basically out on your feet, there's a lot of things that play there. And taking the in the fact, I heard it felt like it was 115 there. I got off the airplane, walked across the rental car lot here in Austin. It was only 92, and I was like being a weather sissy in L.A. I was like, holy cow, <laughs> this is different. So I can imagine what they were feeling. So they were doing fine, and stuff like that happens, man. I, I just got finished talking about a, you know, a bad podcast I had with Dean Ambrose a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. You know, guys went out there. Everything was going good for those guys, and then things started getting difficult. But, hey, man, uh, I respect the hell, the hell out of both of them. And people always uh, would look at Ric Flair way back in the day and say, hey, man, when's you going to hang it up, man? It's, he's too old to be doing this. As long as you love to be to do it and you still have that passion, like Lawler still likes to work. Yeah. So, man, as long as you can go out there and do the best you can, hey, accidents are going to happen, and one happened, and those two pros, being as pro as they are, worked the best they could to get out of that situation, do the go-home, and finish the match. It was what it was, but at the end of the day, it's two superstars, two, two guys that were over, working their ass off to, to get the job done. Bill says he fell short, and I guess he did on a personal but level. You, uh, you, you're entitled to your self-criticism and oh, say, yeah. hey, I didn't do – the best job that I could have done, and I'm not going to make any excuses. I did ring my bell. I did kind of like, you know, botch a a move or two, but nonetheless, I put the effort in. I didn't quit. I could have easily said, hey, man, I rung my bell, and they could have called the match, took the choke slam, and went home. Right. But they didn't. He sucked it up, and and you broke your neck. And I remember you – blood streaming down your face and you not being able to stand up. And uh, I don't know if you was leaning into the referee or you was leaning into the ropes, but I could tell something was wrong with you when you broke your neck. I knew right away, like, oh, he ain't right. And he sucked it up and finished. And I just felt like it was disrespectful uh, for our fans to be able to criticize a guy that sucked it up and put his ass on the line. And 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 that that that's that's the thing that chapped Tommy Dreamer too, and Tommy, you know we 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 love this business and have a lot of respect for it. So the last thing you want to do is have somebody that's never took a bump uh, criticize somebody at that capacity. Man, when you get lit up, I mean it's just the instinct of an athlete, uh, a competitive person, to finish. Like when I when I got dropped on my head, I was paralyzed, a transient quadriplegic for about a, a minute, 60 seconds, longest minute of my life. I didn't think I'd ever move again, but I knew I had to finish that match. And I just called a roll up, and I told Earl to, to relay, or Timmy White, whoever it was, to relay the message to Owen. But it goes back to when, when Liv took that head kick uh, about a year or two ago and basically was out, but she tried to continue the match. That's a gamer yeah. inside you, and that's just – hey, man, it's like – any anything you do, if something goes wrong, but you try to finish, you know, that that's heart, and that's yeah. what those two guys show. And and it just goes to show how tough this damn business is. Not everything goes right, and when it goes wrong, you do everything you can to finish. Is this because of social media? Because almost immediately after that match, if you went on Twitter, then you started seeing all the complaints and the insults. Is is this is because of the day of Twitter and trying to get your opinion out as quickly as possible? Because I think if people really look back at that match or found out what happened in that match, they probably give a lot of credit to Goldberg for continuing that match. Is it because of the instant gratification of social media? I, I think so. And um, I think that also some people want to, they want, they want people to follow them. And they're like, who is this guy that was talking about, you know, like the negative way of, of getting attention. And and I think that that's, that's something we need to try to just look over. Some of those people, they, they don't deserve an opinion. Yeah, but also you can uh, you can look at anything. If you're not an expert at it, just because just you might have watched the business for 20 years, you don't really know what's going on in that ring. You can be a fan, but you don't know what's going on inside that ring as far as the, you know the thought pattern and the, and the communication process between those two guys and just say, hey, man, they botched up. They're too old and washed up. 
Ah, man, th- things happen. If you like my perspective, because I've been there and done that, I've been in a million stinkers. L- luckily, I've been in a bunch of good ones, too. Right. Uh, but when I see something go wrong, I say, hey, man, they're doing the best they can. I, I respect it for what it is because it happens to all of all of us at any age, at any time. And that's just the, the, the way of the business. It's the nature of the beast. That's a very physical ball game out there, mister. Yeah, I, 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 I remember a time when uh, D'Lo and I were in a tag and we were wrestling the headbangers. And I was not a fan of people, you know, mimicking monkey moves, you know, doing I, – I, I was traumatized as a kid. Somebody called me Mugilla Gorilla. I don't know if you remember that cartoon, but you had to, mm-hmm. y'all that's not old, 45, 50 years old, Google it, Mugilla Gorilla. So this kid called me Mugilla Gorilla. So now I'm in the ring, and I'm flashback, and one of the headbangers is doing the – the monkey thing, and uh, I forget the whole match. I I'm, I'm so angry that I can't think about nothing but hitting somebody. So D'Lo wow. sees me angry and goes, Mark, tag me. And I tag him, and I'm standing on the apron, in, like no expression. Just, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm just gone. And D'Lo's having a match, and right about that time, D'Lo gets his bell rung. So now he's not knowing who he is <laughs> or where he is. I tell the ref, tell D'Lo to tag me. D'Lo comes and tag me, and I have to put aside what's in my head and do business. That's what happened. We did business. We went to the back, and then we had that conversation. But the point of the whole deal was, at some point, you if you love the business and you love what you're doing, like you have to be able to be able to sacrifice and finish. D'Lo was able to finish that match, you know, with my help. But it's it's hard for people that's not, you know, experts, as Steve said, in a situation where you're out there and you have to be responsible for the situation. So, like, it's it's a lot that goes into it. Well, it's a, it's amazing hearing Steve talk about that he couldn't feel, he couldn't move. And the only thing that's in his head at that moment is like, I got to think about the finish of the match. I mean, the the, the <laughs> yeah. true professionalism of that it, it does not, you know, does it, I I don't know anybody listening to that now that would go through that same thought process if they cannot move and they're that numb. I mean, I, I mean, all the props to you, Steve, for actually feeling and thinking that way when you're going through that moment. Hey, man, you know, I always tell everybody I got, I got a couple for you. I always figure, man, I I am pretty damn tough, you know. But on that night, I was ninety nine percent lucky and one percent tough. <laughs> Here's the thing, I'm a gamer. I'm gonna always finish a match. I just got to. But the extra motivation to finish that match was the stipulation that the loser had to kiss the other guy's ass. <laughs> and so I was not gonna lay there. I was I was I thought I was paralyzed for life. But the reason. <laughs> I got up was because I said, ain't no way I'm kissing nobody's ass. I said, roll up for the win. Wow. So that was the extra motivation. That's a total shoot. And also, I wanted out of the match, and I had to finish it, and that's just the way I'm wired as many of the guys and girls in the business are. And just one more incident that happened way back in a, uh, a long time ago. I was working with The Undertaker in Madison Square Garden, and it was the highway to hell. I guess it was SummerSlam. And there was a spot in there where, you know, Mark was going to give me a backdrop, but I was going to kick him in the chest and just straighten his ass up. And when he, when he did straighten up, he was going to just give me that death stare. Well, man, his big-ass head hit me right up under the chin and flashed me. And that's the only time in my life, Mark, I've ever been knocked out. I'm laying there in the middle of the ring in Madison Square Garden looking up at the ceiling, and Earl Heb- Hebner knows I got my bell rung. And he looked down at me, he got that little grin on his face. He goes, you all right, boy? I said, where am I? He goes, you in the garden. <laughs> and me and, me and Mark continued the match. I remember zero of it. I know it was a subpar performance. I do remember laying on the announce table as Mark went to the top turnbuckle. He was going to drop that big leg on me. And I was laying there looking up at him. And I said, man, we talked about this, but this ain't something you practice. I guess he's going. And sure enough, his big ass came down, dropped that leg on me. And I remember seeing that just could remember back we you know, watched it back on video but i didn't remember anything from from that point on being knocked out but that's just what you do that's what we do 
And going back to the, you know, the Goldberg Undertaker thing, man, hey, man, sometimes bad things happen at the office, and sometimes, pardon my language, but you got to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Like what you're hearing? Catch Busted Open live weekdays from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation Channel 156 or on demand with the SiriusXM app. I did it as, you know, I was running heel at the time, and I left that message on Christian's voicemail, and uh, every time I'd say something, i kind of say, what? And I had a long, long-winded uh, you know, voicemail, and I was like, man, there's something here. And I just thought it was kind of a way to jab someone, you know, like to say, oh, so you're supposed to be the, the world's strongest man. What? You know, it kind of kind of disrespect, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm jabbing you, right? And so I figured, hey, man, I'm just going to, as a heel, no one had done that. It was something different. So that's the first, you know, way I was trying to use it. And then all of a sudden when I kind of flipped back babyface or people started grabbing onto it, Man, it just turned into something where if you just had to put that pause in, in your in your cadence, they would come with that what, and they just kind of trained them to do it, and they were feeding off of it. And you know, Mark, a big part of being you know, in WWE or in, in, in a, the wrestling business is that crowd wants to participate, man, right. whether they loving you, hating you, cheering you, booing you, or, or whatever, just involved in the match or listen to a promo. Uh, they want to be engaged and involved, and it, it was a chance for them to be involved and participate as a part of the show. And they're still participating, and still people saying, Austin, why in the hell did you invent that? I wish you would have never oh done it. Oh, my goodness. And I would have never <laughs> had a million it years. That, you know, it happens now. Is it, they do it to everybody. I know, but I would have never thought, you know, way back in the day that that would have the staying power or the legs that it hit, that it has. Over the, the gift you know, that life. keeps on giving. Yeah. You and Ron Simmons, they, y'all the only two guys in the history of the business that took one word, one word, and got that word over. And you know what? It goes beyond pro wrestling. Damn. Mark, you hear it. Like Roger Goodell at the NFL draft will go up to announce the next pick, and they'll be saying, they'll be wadding Roger Goodell at yeah. the NFL draft. That's that's the staying power of that one word from Stone Cold Steve and, and Austin. And it, it, it transcended wrestling. It went to every other sport. Yep. Uh, I mean, even uh, there was a video of this kid that – I showed you the video of the kid that tried to give the RKO to his principal. <laughs> yeah. Probably. And the principal was talking to the students, and they was all going, what? <laughs> <laughs> He'd say, listen, I'm trying to get all of y'all to get in like What? Like, I, it was hilarious. So, um, Steve, th- this is something that – Dusty Rose was the only other person that I could think of in my – wrestling understanding that you know he was the the simple man he was the son of a plumber and he 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 bucked against uh rick flair being the antithesis of what he was and the complete opposite of what he was but you did that in a different level you took it to the boss you took it to vince mcmahon and became you don't you're my boss but just because you sign my checks, you don't tell me what to do. I'm Stone Cold Steve Austin. And and that that was something that everybody got behind. The guy that that was the plumber at the school that, you know, <laughs> he probably got fired, but he there was some guys that was like, Listen, man, you my boss, but you you ain't not, you're not running me. You know, and, and that was I mean, the common guy, everybody that could buy a ticket showed up to see you because they wanted to be a part of the guy that gave them that gumption, and how did how did that come about? Like, I mean, it it just was a, a super impressive thing, and and it sounds simple, but it's real complicated. Man, you're really making me search my memory banks because I think that all was born out of, if I'm correct, if someone out there that's got a better memory than me, and there's a bunch of them, got a better uh, version of this than sent it out, but the way I remember it. <laughs> I think I got uh, dropped on my head, had some neck damage, nerve damage, I still do. I was able to get back in the ring, but there for a while I was on standby. I was flying all over the United States getting my neck looked at by the you know, best experts in the world. And there was a protective measure. Hey, man, you know, we got to keep we're, – we're trying to take care of you. And I think uh, that's kind of when I started barbing back and forth with Vince McMahon is out of them trying to protect me against, you know, me doing myself harm. And uh, – some you know, and Vince wasn't really you know uh, involved back then. He was still you know the commentator. It wasn't really out that he was the owner of the federation. As a matter of fact, well, I, I had said he was while I was cutting a promo about Bret Bret Hart, 
And I said, you know, he was talking about Gorilla Monsoon being held accountable. I said, hey, man, you're the one that owns this place. You know what's up. And I think it was just born out of that. And then, uh, you know, we just became these rivals. And I wasn't the champion, I guess, after 14 uh, that I won in uh, at the Fleet Center in Boston against Shawn Michaels, uh, the heavyweight championship of the world. Uh, that, you know, he was going to try to dress me up. And so we just... We just started this thing, and it was really, I hate the word organic, but I use it. It was just an organic thing that it just kind of came to be. It was never part of a master plan, but Vince, you know, I, Vince and those guys, I guess, kind of th- thought about it, and it, just just our chemistry, our, our interaction, it was a natural. And uh, the, the thing I always liked about working with Vince was the way I go into any kind of angle with the energy or the focus or the passion. I'm all in, you know what I mean? And I believe what I'm doing. Vince is the exact same way. And I, and I can mention a lot of talent that are the same, same way. But, I, man, when I look in a mirror and I can see the, the reflection would be Vince, man, we just had this natural, nat- natural chemistry. And it was water cooler talk. It transcended the business. And we spun it for, you know, damn near two years. It was a few to the year. So I, I, I can't really put a, a real hard, fast answer on your question, but, you know, through Vince, you know, trial and error and then just feeling it out like Vince does, making decisions on the fly, that's how we got into it. And you know what's – oh, go ahead, Mark. Sorry. It's, it's hard for me not to – you know, out of all the memories that I have um, with uh, the whole Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, saga – is the the hospital scene? Oh boy! And, and the bedpan and and beating Vince up in the hospital like it sticks out in my mind. And there was I remember a scene where I had a a, a bedroom scene with Mae Young when I was Sexual Chocolate, and it 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 just it resonated with all the guys. And I remember Bruce Pritchard was the producer. And he was on the floor laughing. He was so red that I thought he was actually going to pass out. And when y'all did that, was it hard for you? Because you, you always stone cold mode. Like everybody's like, man, Steve is just a tough dude. Did Did you ever break? Did you ever just break down and just bust out laughing? Not in a moment like that, but prior to that. And there's a few people I've told this story a few times, but it's not really well known. Well, me and Mick Foley, while Vince is filming his stuff with the nurse, because, you know, his heart his heart rate monitor is going, and he's just this bad patient. She's taking his temperature and all this. And, you know, he's playing it up to the hilt. And me and, me and mankind, Mick Foley, are in this little bitty bathroom. There's barely room for one person. And he breaks out Mr. Socko, and he's telling me that this is fixing to be his finish, and he's got this sock on his hand. And we're in there, two grown men in a little bitty-ass bathroom with the door shut, just laughing our asses off. And they had to come in there and say, hey, man, can you guys keep it down? We're trying to film Vince's stuff. So, yeah, we were busting up behind the screen, I mean, behind behind closed doors. And so when it came time to do the hospital scene, you know, all of a sudden we'd go in there. This is something that had never been done. And so Vince has got his gown on. He's laying there, and I'm looking around, and we see the thing with the potential enema, you know, at the, at the payoff at the end. And then uh, it was their idea for the bedpan. I'm like, man, this is, this is a lethal weapon. You could use this in a street fight if you was to carry a bedpan and just knock the shit out of somebody. And I didn't want to hurt the man. So I was over bouncing that thing off my head just to tr- tr- try to find the sweet spot. You know what I mean? But no, never ever would I break on something like that because that was serious business to me, and we were shooting a very serious angle, and there was a lot of money depending on that, and my career depended on it. You know, anytime you get a chance to do something like you know when you started getting yeah. into a rhythm with with your stuff, yeah, it's the most outlandish stuff in the world. But you got to you got to pull it off. The times I did pop or bust. Uh, would be on a pre-tape, like singing Vince's song with Kurt Angle, <laughs> and I was singing, uh, you know, Camptown Racer, whatever the song was, Kumbaya. And we started laughing so damn hard, it was unbelievable. And then the next take, it was like, hey, man, we got to get it because we're fixing to go live, and this is one of those pre-tapes. And a lot of those things to those people that listen are live, live, and they are what they are. And when, when that red light's going, Mark, nothing, nothing almost out. nothing yeah. can bust me. Now, if we're doing a pre-tape, someone just showed one on uh, – Twitter the other day where Kurt busted me and I said we got to start over. Somebody's made me laugh, and but other than that, dude, I was I'm a pro. Yeah, but I can be busted. I can. 
If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music, plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Just go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. You can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com busted. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. I'm guessing there's a reason, Mark, why Stone Cold is in studio today. Yes, there is. And Stone Cold is is uh gave me the honor of being on his podcast. So after the show, uh I will feel questions from the rattlesnake on his podcast. Gotta what? tell him how it happened. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll tell you I, I got a uh, I was at the house, three sixteen gimmick street. Uh, my wife was bossing me around, and I was working. And all of a sudden, I get this text message. Can I? Can I? Yeah, yeah, name? yeah, yeah. So I get this message, and I don't have the Mark is not in my contact list. He's switched numbers so many times. So all of a sudden, I get this message. You want to talk to Earl Campbell? And I, immediately, well, Earl Campbell. We're in Austin, Texas, right now. It's where I was born. Was where Earl's from Tyler. He's Tyler Rose, but. He went to school at University of Texas and played for the Houston Oilers. He's my all-time childhood idol. And I was like, I sent a message back, who is this? And I said, Mark Henry. I said, oh, man. So I picked up the phone and called Mark. This first time we talked in a while, he goes, hey, man, you want to uh, have Earl Campbell on a podcast? I said, man, I would love to. And I said, dude, what about you? He goes, yeah, I'm game. I said, well, I'm coming down to Austin anyway. Because I'm coming down here, I was going to look at a car that I'm after, um, a big car guy, and I'm also reconnecting with a family member that I hadn't seen in about 30 years. So I was coming to Austin, and I said, man, be able to talk to Earl Campbell and Mark Henry, uh, this is unbelievable. So it was a really short notice, and I hope I can do the best job I can. we got to do a lot of – we just got to shoot the breeze. Because when you try to sum up uh, everything that you've accomplished with your weightlifting career, moving to your uh, pro wrestling career, sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it, you ain't no quick study. No. So I'm going to do the best I can with you, and we're going to tell stories, but there is no way you can prep for a Mark Henry interview in two days because you have accomplished too much, but I'm looking forward to talking to you. And Mark well, Henry's you know. a special kind of cat, and he's doing a – and by the way, Steve, I don't know if you get to listen. He's doing a tremendous job on this show. And there was one episode of this show where Gabby was playing the Pointer Sisters. We come back from break, and I'm saying that, Thomas Hollywood Henderson went out with like the hot pointer sister in the pointer sister. <laughs> Next thing you know, Thomas Henderson's calling in on the show and we do an interview with Hollywood Henderson about how he dated one of the pointer sisters. Man, that guy was so uh, controversial back in the day. Dallas Cowboys. I remember like it's yesterday, man. He was flamboyant. He was Deion Sanders before Deion Sanders. Oh, man. The fur coats. Man, I, I dug the guy. I, I thought he was lights out. But a lot of people, man, he he had some heat on him. Man. Oh, he had a lot of heat. And, yeah. and some of it, he talked about it on yeah. the show. How he, it was self-inflicted, too. Yeah. He said, I just couldn't get out of my own way. You know, I'd rather fight than talk. I drank and smoked more cocaine, snorted more cocaine than anybody that ever decided to snort it. And he said, I just went on this this whole try to kill yourself. He said, I just figured, hey, if, if I'm going to kill myself, this would be the easiest way. And what, and he, wow. before the Super Bowl with the Pittsburgh Steelers, to the, to the newspapers, he said, Terry Bradshaw – couldn't spell cat if you spotted him the C and the A. I mean, that's what you say about Terry Bradshaw just days before the Super Bowl. And, of course, Terry Bradshaw just carved up the Cowboys Killed that day. Him. He might have carved them up, but Terry, that's one of the best lines ever. <laughs> All right, Stone Cold, obviously the host of the Steve Austin Show, and you're going to have to tune in because at some point you're going to hear Earl Campbell and, of course, our own – um, Mark Henry, and I bring up the show, too, because recently you've been all over the press because you talked openly about the podcast that you had done with Dean Ambrose, and that wasn't just on your show, but it was also on the WWE Network, and I know you've talked a lot about it, but I'm glad I have the opportunity to speak to you about it because one thing that a lot of our nation members know, we had Dean Ambrose as a guest on this show just a few months before you did, and I know it's bothered you because you actually said it that 
that interview kind of haunted you the way that that went and obviously didn't go the way you wanted it to. I did the same kind of interview with Dean Ambrose on this show, and it was the same thing. He just was laid back, gave one-word answers. There was no passion. There was no fire. And, Steve, just so you know, after my interview with him, that haunted me for for weeks and for months afterwards because I would be laying in bed and I, I'd be thinking to myself, like, what did I do wrong? Did I not ask the right questions? Did I go down a road maybe he didn't want to? And And it's funny how a Hall of Famer like yourself had the same kind of interview with Dean Ambrose. Man, and really, you know, like I said, you know, he was in a bad place, and uh, I was in a place that, you know, that you know that that experience was it was different than me just sitting in my house being Steve Austin. Right. It kind of had it spun up as a Stone Cold podcast. So it's almost like I'm kind of dealing with two different personalities trying to talk to one guy, and so it, anyway, it just wasn't my best outing, and we we were just never on the same page, and you know, I just think that speaks to. How frustrating, and I can't, you know, I hope to get to talk to John Moxley uh, in the future, you know, when all the, the, you know, he's doing a bunch of interviews right now, let him get settled in his role over there, and then I'd like to talk to him when he's just uh, fresh and full of energy and he's, he's really entrenched in something so he can speak in depth about it. But I'll say this, you know, there's, obviously he was in a real bad place, and I've been throughout my career, and I know you have too, Mark, and and, and it's all for different reasons, but I've been in some bad places where, man, I, I was checked out. And there were, there was a couple of uh, bad times. That you work through them. But, man, there's, you know, I think Dean had, uh, had checked out. Like we were talking off air, you kind of use that, that terminology. I think, you know, he'd had enough. And I don't know what, what his situation was. And I, maybe I'll find out. But I've been there before. And I can't say I've been to where he was, but on a parallel path. And so, man, he just, he just had enough. And I'm looking forward to char- uh, to talking with him now that you know he's got his batteries charged up. And again, but same thing, same thing here, man. I, I felt terrible about that interview because I felt like since I was leading it, you know, I want to carry or, or have someone you know put on their best interview while I'm talking to them, and so I can do my job. And it it, it truly haunted me. And everybody thinks, hey, Stone Cold Steve Austin, he's picking on this guy. He he don't care or whatever. Man, I don't I do care. I care about everything I do. I take great pride with it, with everything that I do. And when I don't do my best. It just haunts me. And I, I like uh, Dean Ambrose or John Moxley a whole lot. And I studied the guy so much. And he's very charismatic and he's a damn good talent. And so I'm just looking yeah. forward to see him getting lit up and, and having as much fun as he can and entertaining people and drawing money. Because I'm a fan and things just went wrong and I'll shut up at that point because I'm, I'm beating a dead horse. But, yeah, yeah, it ate me up and I wish that guy nothing but the best. He's a damn good talent. He, and, and and a good guy too. I and mean, I'm friends with his wife, and and we we talk a lot, uh, me and Renee, and she she explains to me his personality when the first time that I met him and talked to him, and had a conversation. And he is a good dude, but in his defense, he was so frustrated and checked out at that time with that interview with both of y'all that. You know, I can't. I'm not making an excuse for him. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying I've been there, and like you said, you've been there too. Uh, when you get frustrated and you feel like it's, it's hard to, you don't want to say nothing wrong, so you feel like, well, maybe if I don't say nothing, you know, I'll be better off. And you know, like I, I hate that for him because that's that's a bad spot to be in. You you're already behind eight ball because you don't want to say nothing wrong that's going to be negative, but you're in a situation where you're supposed to be who you are and interview mm-hmm. the way that it would be entertaining for the people listening. And, you know, this I was, I've was i been a radio guy since I was a little kid. You know, my grandfather and my grandmother both used to listen to the radio, you know, when it had the three knobs on it. You, remember the, the, you know, like we were radio people. And I, I I remember that. I never thought in a million years that I would be one of those people that's speaking through that radio, but I knew I always loved it. And he could not give you and you, Dave, what he what was needed to get that across. 
and it's difficult. And uh, listen, I interviewed CM Punk shortly before he was gone from the WWE, and I got that same kind of vibe. And I can understand that when you're unhappy and you're frustrated and, you know, you're doing an interview because it's part of your job and you have to. And at the same time, you know you got to bite your tongue because you probably want to say more. But at the same time, it goes back to what we talk about when it comes to professionalism. You bite your tongue and, and you get a situation like the situation I had and the situation that Steve had. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm I'm like Steve. I don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse. But, um, yeah, I, I, I can see I've been there. And it's, it's a troubling thing. You don't, you don't want to be disrespectful to the company that you work for and the the people that are involved and you don't want to misrepresent yourself. And uh, Steve was saying, and we'll probably talk more about it on the podcast. So you can go check out the stone cold podcast uh, coming up, you know, and, and, and even today's show is going to be available on Pandora and free on Apple podcast. So go in and check us out. It'd be me and uh, bully Ray and Dave LaGreca and, Tommy Dreamer, but guys like, you know, this is this is not an easy job. You know, people think that you got to do a lot of prep. I watch about nine hours of wrestling a week so I can make sure that I know what I'm talking about when I'm giving you this information. And, and Dave is watching more wrestling than I am. Like what you're hearing? Catch Busted Open live weekdays from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Or on demand with the SiriusXM app. Now that you're part of the media and you're a host, Steve, and you do the, a great job with the Steve Austin show, and Mark Henry is going to be a guest of yours coming up, so definitely check that out and look for it. What are some of your best interviews that you've done over the last few years on that show? Man, I don't know uh, about the, the best interviews. I, I know that you know each time I've been doing it for so long, uh, I, I try to you know make each one of them as good as I can. I just I've just enjoyed you know pretty much all of them and you know I've had some duds you know uh, like we all do but I I, I guess uh, all of them have been good to me I, I recently got a chance to talk to Tony Khan and uh, had a good time talking with him a wealth of information uh, and I took about a six month break I just I just needed some time off I had some uh, things going on and in the interim I also filmed a show for the USA Network called Straight Up Steve Austin and that's going to start. Uh, season premiere will be August 12th, uh, I guess after Monday Night Raw. So, you know, I took a break to film that as well. But I just I, I took just took some time off, and now I've charged up my batteries. People were saying to me on social media, hey, man, how, how effing long is it going to take you to charge that battery up? And are you going <laughs> to My quit? alternator's broke. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I kind of started doing the podcast, the podcast as a hobby, and then I, I would get, like, hate emails, like, hey, man, where are you? I want to listen to your ass on on a damn podcast. So I was like, man, I, I didn't know you cared that much. So I'm glad to be doing it. So I don't get no more heat. So t- tell me more about the show in August. Alex was uh, Alex Metz, uh, who sent me a text and said, "Hey Mark, uh, this is my Alex voice. Uh, hey Mark, uh, that read was for Steve, and uh, make sure that you uh, say something about the show in August." Yeah, it's uh, straight up Steve Austin, and uh, I, I go around, or people come to L.A. and uh, hang out with me for a day, and I get to, I get a chance to know them. We do some activities, we hang out, uh, and talk some more, and just do a bunch of crazy shit. And it's one of the funnest times I've ever had in my life. And we filmed seven of them, and so now after doing a season of them, I've yet to see them all back yet. We've got two, I think, that are, are edited, and I'm like, man, the learning curve. You know, just from doing a show like that is so different than anything else I've ever done. By the time we got finished, you know, I never did anything seven times and was awesome at it. So I've got a long ways to go and a lot more to learn. But we got into a groove after about, you know, one or two or three. And so I had so much fun. I hope it comes through the screen. I know my guests had fun, too. We do some cool things. And that's basically what it is. I get these celebrity guests on the show. We have a good time. I got to hang out with Baker Mayfield over in Cleveland. You know, looking forward to seeing what that kid does this year. Uh, Being a a race driver uh, my whole life, hanging out with Dale Earnhardt Jr. on his property and swapping stories with him, hanging out with the man, Becky Lynch, Sal Volcano of Impractical Jokers. You know, one of the hottest shows out right now has been for the last 10 years. People like that, man, and uh, 
to, to just do things that I would do with people and exchange uh, conversation and stories. That's what the show is about. And uh, August did, 12th, did you do all of them consecutively? Uh, we, man, we actually filmed a pilot about a year ago. You know how long things take to happen, oh, yeah. Mark, yeah. especially in, in, you know, like by the time something happens, man, it was in the works a long time ago. Nothing just happens overnight. Well, no. very rarely. So we filmed that pilot, and I just thought, hey, man, nothing's going to happen out of this. Nothing. I was like, I, I just get Some up things happen overnight. We just can't talk about them on this well, show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, and then they said, hey, man, let's, let's, let's light this thing up. Let's green light this. And we put all the pieces in place. So when you talk about putting the pieces in place, you're talking about an executive producer. You're talking about a showrunner. You know, all your camera crew. I mean, you assemble a lot of pieces, man. We had like... 85 people on that set. So, I mean, it was a massive production. I'm really proud of it, and I hope it does well because I want to get another swing at it for season two and continue this. And if not, man, I'll be out there looking for another job. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what right now. You mentioned Dale Earnhardt. I would love to be able to have a conversation with Dale Earnhardt, just being a kid that grew up in Texas. And, you know, we have the dirt track racing here. And um, I grew up watching dirt track racing. And... Uh, that's something we can talk about on the show. I I grew up, man, just southeast Texas, little small seals, but everybody, guys working on their Novas and, you know, all the muscle cars and raced them on the dirt tracks in the weekends. And um, I would love to pick his brain and see, you know, how he felt about the old. I know Tony Stewart did a lot of the dirt yeah. track racing. Uh, he may not have done it, but at least I know he would know a lot about it. He's just a cool guy, man. And, and I've met Dale. Um, most of my guests I'd met, you know, of course I know Becky, uh, and I've crossed uh, paths with a few of them. And I'd met Dale at several of the uh, NASCAR races that I went to, whether it was to start the, line, uh, start the race or to announce the drivers. I'd shake his hand and say hi to him. And I knew he was a wrestling fan and I was a race car fan. But, man, to, to get to hang out with him, you, you would never expect him. Well, now I watch his, his uh, Dale Jr. downloads on YouTube. Right. Man, him and those guys, you talk about good storytellers. They got some stories, too, because it's just like the, the business. And those guys are running around a racetrack, and they got so many stories, and they're all just tremendous story li- storytellers. And he's just a very charismatic, talky dude. And you, you would think he would just be this quiet guy. Not so fast, my friend. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. And right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. The chief brand officer, or is it chief brandy officer, of AEW, the great Brandy Rhodes. Brandy, how are you? I'm really good after that intro. You called me the great Brandy Rose. That's uh, that's a new one. So thanks. <laughs> well, once we get past all out, you'll power. be the yes, yeah. And once we get past all out, it'll be the legendary Brandy Rose. So this oh, will be the last time great. I call you I'm great. In the direction we're going in. <laughs> we're going up. We're going up. So, Brandy, let me ask you, because this is exciting. I mean, here on Busted Open, our fans are excited. Obviously, Mark and I are, are really excited, not just for you, but just as fans. Uh, another sellout, all out, is a sellout. What were your first thoughts when you heard those two words, sellout? Uh, just very grateful. Um, I know that uh, people think maybe that we expect this at this point, but we definitely don't. Every time we go into these, um, you know, we're just very hopeful that our fans are seeing the vision that we're seeing and that they want to come join us and and be a part of it. So every time you hear the words sold out or even that we've sold a massive amount of tickets, uh, it's just, it's really, really humbling and really fantastic. It's got to feel really good, though, that people love the brand already so much that they're clamoring for it. And you know, it's, it's always cool to see the, the days of waiting in line. I, I heard Dave talking about how he's waited in line for like two hours for tickets. Uh, those days are almost over, but um, the fan base, they're just clamoring for the tickets. It's, I mean, like, what was it, 12 minutes, 15 minutes? Yeah, yeah. It's almost uh, It's one of those things where you're happy about it, but at the same time, you're kind of worried about it because, you know, 
a lot of people can go in the queue. I think we had 137,000 people in the queue at some point looking to buy tickets of some sort. And um, that number can dwindle quite quickly if you're waiting. We are very well aware of that. So <laughs> expecting people to wait, you know, 15, 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it takes to, to get their tickets, especially with everybody's busy schedules. And I know a lot of people are at work or they're on their, their break trying to do this. Um, it's just really nice that they stick with us. And uh, they, they want they want to, like you said, want to come see it so bad that they're willing to do that. So we, we do not take that lightly at all. You know, Brandy, um, in the world of pro wrestling outside of the WWE, you never would hear the word sellout when it came to an event if it didn't come with the words WWE attached. And that's gone on for decades. And then with, with All In last September, you had a sellout. Double or nothing in Vegas, a sellout. Now again, another sellout for All Out. I mean, you, you have to take pride in the fact that not only is this successful, but you're changing the game. And I think AEW, without even starting their TV show yet, has changed the landscape of pro wrestling. Yeah, you know, it, it's really interesting to look at it that way. I think a lot of times we're all so busy just working and just trying to do what we know is right for our brand and right for our various roles. And it's nice to sometimes take a look back at everything and say like, wow, this is really massive what's going on. And, and I'm really lucky to be right in the center of it all because this probably won't happen again for a really long time. Um, or at least probably not in my lifetime. So it's just really, it's really cool. Uh, at the same time though, it, it, it helps you keep your head on straight because uh, you see all of the people who are so excited about this and just really wanting this to succeed. And uh, a lot of times it's, it's not about you. So that's great. And that's part of the reason I think that things are so successful that uh, everyone who's in our core group here, we're able to look outside of it and say, like, you know what? Some things just aren't about me. It's about the greater good. It's about what's happening here. And uh, we're able to just move forward with what we all think as a group is the best. Brandy, I, I have a uh, – we talked about power early and uh, jokingly. Uh-oh. Mark, I, to... I missed some of what you said there. Um, I think it's my connection. I'm moving to another spot. Can you say that again? I said we, we talked about power earlier, jokingly, uh, calling you the great Randy Brandy Rhodes, and now you'll be legendary after this pay-per-view. Um, but there is a level of uh, power that comes with the position that you hold. Have you had any issues yet with uh, people – being familiar, being overly familiar when they they should understand the chain of command, coming straight to you for an issue rather than going up the ladder? Oh, man, you know, <laughs> that's a really, that's a loaded question mark for so many reasons because uh, not, it, it, is a, it is a change for sure. But I think a lot of times some of that falls on me some of it falls on me being too familiar, me being too friendly. Um, and I think it's a really thin line that you just have to learn how to navigate. Um, I've learned, I think, a lot in my life. Uh, Cody will tell you <laughs> definitely that this is something that he does not consider a strong point for me, is that um, once I'm burned, I'm burned hard. And it takes a long time for me to move past things. No matter how small it may seem to someone else, it may be monumental to me. So in those instances, I'm very careful with how I am with people because I don't want to open them up to accidentally burning and then seeing that side. So uh, a lot of times all of that falls on me, not anyone else. So I have to be careful with myself and with what my expectations are and uh, with what my role entails and what that should mean to other people. Okay. My, my, the other thing that I... I find, <clears throat> excuse me, pretty interesting is how do you connect with the charities and the flagship uh, brands and, and companies that you're going to do business with? Like, do, do y'all have a collective meeting of who you want to be a part of? Uh, or, or do you right just, now, you know, you have such so a, uh, Oh, I'm sorry, Mark. I, I stepped on you there. Oh, it's all right. You're the, you're the officer. Okay. Uh, you're the well, chief right brand now, officer. You do whatever you want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
we're, we're in a really like lucky time right now because uh, a lot of times we are being approached on things like partnerships and, and that has a lot to do with uh, the momentum that we've gained and people seeing a lot of uh, the sellouts that we're having and the happy customers that we're having and that the fan base is really, you know, really seeming to be in tune with what we're doing. So that's causing a lot of people to want to align in our direction, uh, which is wonderful. It's just drawing really, really great companies and, and organizations to, to come our way. Um, and a lot of times with, with that, it's, it's pretty easy to field because you're not having to sell yourself. Um, okay. And in many cases, these fantastic places are trying to sell themselves to, to us and we already know about them and we're, we're already really excited about them. So it, it ends up being kind of just a, a fun joining of forces, which is really great. And, you know, there are times when it's not like that. Um, there, there are plenty of people who still don't know what we're doing in the landscape and, uh, you know, things like that, some things that I have in mind, they will probably take a little bit more time, but uh, we're really happy with where we are right now. And we've got some new things going all the time. I think, uh, you know, people get really hung up on one thing that they've heard and they're like, oh yeah, that's really fantastic. And I'm like, yeah, it would, well, it is, but we've got so much more happening behind the scenes that people are unaware of that's equally as fantastic. So um, have, you, have you picked the charity so yet? Like, I'm sorry. Have you, have you picked no, a charity no, yet? Um, I mean, we haven't uh, settled on any one charity. As you know, like for Fight for the Fallen, um, we are donating proceeds for that show to uh, the Jacksonville um, agency that, that handles uh, victims of violent crimes. And that's uh, solely because of what happened in Jacksonville previously uh, with the gun violence gaming situation uh but you know it, i think and and you know coming up we're going to do some, some more work with paul chicago like we did last year using pharaoh uh for meet and greets to donate to them um i think stuff like that is kind of we, we keeping our options open and, and we're keeping very open just to the idea of charity all around rather than just focusing on one particular thing because uh, i think we miss opportunities that way and we're too early in our process to just say yes to one thing and no to everything else. You know, Brandy, uh, Mark asked you an, an interesting question about your role and, and what's going on with you as an executive with AEW. You know, it's funny, when, when I started Busted Open, it was such a small venture, and then here as a host and a founder, it gets bigger and bigger, and then being on a platform like SiriusXM, there's other people here and executives and management that you have to deal with, and, and I found that kind of overwhelming from, like, where the show started to where it is now. Um, do you have problems sometimes with dealing that? Because this has gotten so big so fast. Like, do you ever find yourself a little overwhelmed, like how many people you now have to deal with and how many people are involved in the decisions when it comes to certain decisions that need to be made? Uh, I definitely can see how, how it can turn that way really quickly. Um, so, so I'm usually pretty free, uh, proactive beforehand, and uh, I once I saw that other people were kind of starting to use other people to help them and then to kind of become their right hands, um, I picked my right hand really quickly. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of people know this. So I don't think it's very public, but um, my uh, coordinator for uh, the brand is Leva Bates. Uh, she, so she works right with me on everything. So whenever I feel like I'm getting a little overwhelmed or I've got a little too much going on, um, I'm really comfortable just pulling Leva into whatever the project is and saying, hey, I have to focus more on this project. I'm putting you in charge of this one. And she's done a really great job. So it's uh, been really easy to let go of some of that, uh, I guess, um, wanting to do everything all of the time and, and, and allowing uh, Leva to step in and do some of the work. All right, let's talk about All Out and what's going to happen at All Out and finding the first women's world champion at All Out. How excited are you and how excited you are you about this women's division right now with AEW? Oh, so we're, we're really, really excited. Um, you know, on the road to got to announce that uh, All Out will be unveiling the championship. So, uh, okay. be, you know, getting a little too far ahead to say we'll be having a champion, but the championship itself will definitely be there. Um, and uh, I've, I've had a hand in, in uh, working on the design of the championship, and uh, it is unique. 
it has something about it that's never been done before. That's all I can say about it. So mm, <laughs> um, interesting. Really, really. Yeah. And, and, and actually what's surprising to me when I was working with uh, Rico, who was just designing it, I said, Hey, what if we do this? And he says, you know what? We've never done that before, which is a really good thing because <laughs> that's going to make, you know, your, your thing unique. So um looking forward to showing that to everyone and uh, hopefully everyone's as excited about it as we all are as a group. Um, but yeah, the girls, they're extremely excited. Uh, of course you want, you, you enter into this and you know that there's going to be a championship and you know that there's going to be the goal to try to attain, but until you actually hear the words and see it, um, it's surreal. So the girls are really excited. I, I'm going to let you know, I got the double whammy. I was I was shocked to see you come to the ring dressed in wrestling gear and it looked like you were about to get in the ring and then I was excited for that and then all of a sudden you put the brakes on and you brought out one of my favorite uh, female wrestlers of all time, Awesome Kong. And I admire her work, uh, the matches that I, I've seen her have with Gail Kim uh, stand up to some of the best men's matches that I've ever seen. So uh, I'm excited about seeing her. It was was her unveiling uh, something that y'all y'all knew was going to be that impactful uh, or, or you just wanted to uh, bring her in and, and let her establish a new history uh, from the get-go? I can absolutely say I knew. I knew from the beginning, and I knew from way before even discussing with anyone. I knew that that was what I wanted to do. Um, there, there had been early discussion of me being a part of that match, and uh, I thought, well, no, it's a that would make it another <laughs> fatal four way. We did a fatal four way at All In that kind of creates a pattern of looking like all we do are fatal four ways for women, and that that's problematic for me. Uh, so I said, well, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to sit it out. But then there was a lot of people saying, you know, well, she sat that match out at all in cause I, I did too. <laughs> so I, I said, well, yeah, they have a point. So why don't we do the best of both worlds? Why don't we make it seem like I'm going to wrestle? And then I'm not. Um, and the only person I could think of for that spot was awesome Kong. Um, like you said, Mark, she, she's one of my favorite, favorite wrestlers, period, end of story. Um, it was just an honor to be able to have her and have her be so excited about it. And uh, I remember right before she went out, she said, I, I, I'm worried about it. I'm worried that people aren't going to remember. And I said, you're not going to be worried in about five minutes, trust me. <laughs> and that was arguably one of the, the biggest moments of the night. I mean, I, I felt the, the stage shake under me from everyone screaming and going so crazy when she came out and it was just really, really picture perfect, uh, a really good moment for her. And, uh, she's really deserving of moments like that. Uh, fighter fest is coming up on the 29th of this month. MJF is on the card. Unfortunately, he's going to be in studio with us on Monday. Um, the last time he was in studio with us, I mean, I was emotionally scarred. So I just healed from that, and now he's coming back in studio. Uh, how do you deal with somebody like MJF? And tell us a little bit about what's taking place on the 29th this month. Well, first of all, MJF is just one of the most horrible people I've ever met in my entire life. I didn't think anyone like that existed. And I've actually met his, his parents, and they are such sweet people. Aren't I they? I, I, they? Dawn of Satan as their child. <laughs> yeah, it, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. He, he, he just need, he needs somebody to beat him up real good, <laughs> and I think that will shake him back to reality, and I'm waiting for that. I can't wait for someone to just beat him to a pulp, and I hope I see it live, and uh, maybe he, he'll, he'll turn around and apologize for some of the things he said to me. Um but, uh, yeah, Fighter Fest is right around the corner. We're really excited about it. Um, I don't think Kenny still has any idea of what the budget is for that. He's kind of wildly lost in this, this fighter universe. So I'm actually excited to get there and, and have it happen. 
and then hopefully Kenny will calm down. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've seen him on BTE and Road to Fighter, but he's, yep. he's lost it over this show. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it all goes off with a with a, with a bang and and not uh, we don't end up on a Netflix documentary series. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny because I met uh, MJF's parents at Double or Nothing, and they're fans of Busted Open, and they're telling me how much they appreciate the show. And I was like, I, I, I love that you said that, but I don't think your son likes me very much. And they were like, don't worry, he doesn't like anyone. So I guess oh I have to take God. that into consideration. All right, last question from me, Brandy, and I think this is the most important question of all, is your husband's obsession with Star Wars. Is that now? Do you share in that obsession? Is it something you deal with? I mean, you got to, you got to, you got to give me a little bit on this whole obsession with Star Wars that Cody has. Okay, so I'm going to tell you something really big here. So I thought my husband had an obsession with Star Wars, and I thought that that was something that I was, you know, being a great wife and, and learning to live with. Because I like Star Wars. I'm a, I'm a fan of the films, and, and I love going to Disney and riding the new ride and everything. But until I went to Zack Ryder's house and saw his toy collection, no, no one's as insane as that man. And no one's as big of a saint as Chelsea Green for allowing it to happen. That man has taken over three full rooms in their house. They have a two-car garage that they can't put cars in because there's just backlogs and backlogs of toys. He needs a storage unit. It, it's really insane. And then the way that he has them all lined up, some of, you can't even see some of them. They're like six toys deep in a row. So the one that's like number six, I have no idea what that would be. And they're, it's just wall-to-wall. It's wall-to-wall toys, an entire bedroom. And then an office is like the overflow of the toys that can't fit in there. And then the it's, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. So I do not think I have much to deal with or to contend with with Cody and Star Wars. He's pretty normal about it, with the exception of, you know, anytime a new thing happens at Disney, we got to go and we got to go right away. And it's a, it's a he can't wait for anything new. It has to happen immediately. So I'm okay with that. Um, and a lot of times I, I benefit from it because, you know, it's, it's fun and <laughs> they have a lot of like cute merchandise. So I have a, like a new collection of star Wars, you know, apparel and accessories and that that's kind of a win for me. So we're, we're cool with star Wars and he watches all of my horror films and he's putting up with the record collection. So we Ooh. have, it's a given take. Ooh, you know? Ooh, real, really give each other a little bit. Brandy, forget about the star Wars. What's your favorite horror movie? Oof. Uh, definitely Halloween. Um, I would say OC Halloween. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I wouldn't know anything about that. I don't watch horror movies. I have nightmares. You don't. I see. Oh, yeah. Art, I, I always tell these people, I always tell everybody this one story about you. And uh, so I'll tell it to you, see if you remember it. You probably don't. But this is my go-to <laughs> story about you all the time. So one time uh, we were at, I think it was a Raw, um, many, many moons ago, and you it, it was the last match of the night, and you had faced somebody, and you had won, and you're walking around the ring, and you're this was in the, the period of um, uh, you being, like, very menacing, very scary. The Hall of Pain. And so you're walking, yeah, yeah, you're stalking around the ring, and all of a sudden, I don't think you knew this was going to happen. But they hit Kane's pyro, and you jump at least three feet in the air while <laughs> walking around the ring so mean. And then you didn't miss a beat. You just went right back to walking around the ring like that. And it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life because I was like, that scared the crap out of him. It had to. But it wasn't oh, it got it was me. so loud. I do remember. Yeah, I, I, I think my heart stopped briefly. <laughs> And and I have I, we can't completely get off of Star Wars. We can't completely okay. get off of it because I have a question that's been bothering me and bothering me forever. Who was Anakin's father? They they said that he he had uh, levels of this the thing that makes a Jedi a Jedi that was off the charts. 
and they they commented on whether or not who his father was, but it never got answered. Oh well, that then then you definitely got to talk to Cody about if it's anything nuancy that's not like readily available to you in the film to know. I don't know. I also have to watch things like a hundred times. It took me forever to figure out who was Admiral Akbar because Cody just kept saying over and over again, it's a trap. And I was like, what does that mean? What are you talking about? It's a trap. And I had to look into it that it was a Star Wars reference. So anything like that, you can probably talk to Cody for 20 minutes about it and still have zero answer and be more confused than you were in the beginning. But uh, he'll, he'll like it, though. Yeah, and Mark, don't worry about it. We all know Star Trek is better than Star Wars anyway, so it's not whoa, much of a conversation whoa, anyway. <laughs> Fighter Fest coming up June 29th. Again, that's available free on BR Live. And, Brandy, we really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. We are so excited for AEW. We love it. We love what you're doing. And, and thanks again for giving Mark and I the time today. Uh, Thank you guys so much. Have a good day. Thanks for listening. Catch us weekdays on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.